got your Bibles this morning um, or, or a device, go ahead and, and turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be in two places today. This is not my, my normal approach, but um, these two passages, we're going to look at a parallel between them, I think. Um, so we're going to start off in Genesis 39, and then um, we'll ultimately land in uh, Psalm chapter 1. So um, just know that that's coming if you're using a device to be able to switch over, or maybe you want to open to both of those in your, in your regular, your normal paper Bible, and maybe stick a finger in one of those spots, and we'll get there in just a minute. So um, it, every four years, really every two years, I, I don't know about you guys, I get excited about the Olympics. Anybody been watching the Winter Olympics? Yeah, I mean, we, we, watch, the, we watch the Olympics both summer and winter um, in our house anytime they come on. And we just get really into it, and I, I feel I feel like a you know like a patriot and everything. I just get so excited about you know the USA and cheering them on, and and it's so incredible. I love to see the athletes and the uh, the different things that that um, that they're good at and and how how they've how they've developed themselves and everything. And and uh, I just love the different events. You know, like um, it, bobsledding wasn't dangerous enough. Now let's take the shield off. Off of the vehicle and let's go down feet first. But no, that's not good enough. Now we're going to do it head first. You know, like these people are certifiably insane, right? Right? And then, you know, cross-country skiing, it wasn't enough just for the average person. We had to have, we had to have rifle shooting a- added to it, you know, to really step it up, right? And then, and then you get into like, um, you know, ice dancing or the, you know, the couples uh, figure skating and things. And, um, I can't figure out the terminology, all right? They're, they're out there, and they're doing all of these things, and there's a thing called a twizzle. I thought that was a piece of candy. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And they're like, all right, now, she's preparing for the triple axle. Now, in case you don't know, the triple axle is where someone jumps up in the air on skates on the ice and spins around three times and lands. All right, not to be confused with a LUT, a triple LUT, which is where someone on skates jumps up in the air, spins around three times, and then lands. But then there's this entirely different move called a triple toe loop, and this is where someone on skates on the ice jumps up in the air, spins around three times, and then lands. But wait, there's more. There's this thing called a sow cow, which is spelled much differently than it sounds when you look it up. And that is where someone on skates, on the ice, jumps up in the air, spins around, and then lands. It's like the menu at Taco Bell. Everything is tortilla, meat, and cheese. But they call it a taco, a burrito, a chalupa. It's all the same thing. They're just deceiving us. It's crazy. But I, I, got, I got so excited the other night. We were watching snowboarding. Thank the Lord for snowboarding, or the United States would never get a gold medal in the Winter Olympics in anything. Well, we own that snowboard, yo. Claire, uh, Chloe Kim. And then the other night, I don't know if you saw it, but Sean White, he's the most decorated United States snowboarder ever, um, both the Olympics and the, and the X Games. And, and the Flying Tomato is what he was called back in the day because he had that flowing mane of, of flaming red hair. And uh, he, he was in this thing, and he, he did like the run of his life, all right? And he was in first place. And then there was a, a, a guy from, from uh, Korea, I think, or 
Japan or something like that that had the run of his life and overtook him by a couple points. And so it's literally down to where Sean White is the last guy to go, and he's sitting in, he's sitting in second place. And he's got one run to go, and he's got to make up some ground. He's got, to, he's got to gain some points, and the gold medal is on the line. And my dude, he just owned it. And there we were at like 11 o'clock at night in my living room. Yeah! I mean, we were screaming at the TV, and it was awesome. And, and I, I thought for a moment, I could probably do that. You know, like, when you see that happening, do you ever, like, I could probably do that. Curling, definitely. They're just sliding rocks and sweeping the floor. I could do that, you know? But then I, I think really, like, we can't appreciate how good those people are. So here's what I suggest. I suggest that in, in future Olympics, we let, like, a regular person go first, just to set the bar. You know, like imagine some dude named Bubba in like cut off jean shorts and a sleeveless flannel out trying to do a triples Lutz on the ice or doing like a ski jump or, you know, hey, y'all, watch this. And he jumps onto the skeleton thing and goes down. Like that would really set the bar and we would be able to see how good those guys are because the, the level of talent, the level that they're at, it's just, it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Like, how did they get so good, right? How did they get so, like, what does it take to be an Olympian? Like, to represent your country as the best of the best in the entire world. You know, there's this, there's this writer, his name's Malcolm Gladwell, and he has this book, it's called Outliers, and in that book, he talks about these people who are just phenoms in their field. And he does all these scientific studies, and it's actually based on an original study done by a man named Anders Ericsson. And so Malcolm Gladwell takes his work, and then he applies it into some real-life situations of some people, some different leaders and, and different phenoms in various fields, sports and business and, and other things like that. And this is what he, and, and with the scientific uh, research that he did, the, the people that helped him, this is what they came up with. It. There's a magic number for true expertise. There's a magic number for true expertise. And, and what they discovered is, is that someone has to spend about 10,000 hours engaged in any one specific activity before they become an expert. 10,000 hours. And, and in that book, um, Malcolm Gladwell is quoted, he says, practice isn't the thing you do once you're good. It's the thing you do that makes you good. It's this thing that you engage in the right way over and over and over and over, over the long term. And then that's what separates you from the rest of the pack. That that is what, why these Olympians, yes, there was this natural talent, but it didn't just, you know, it didn't just end there. They had to do something with it. And so it was 10,000 hours. That's, that's roughly 20 hours a week for 10 years of their life engaging in that activity that made them experts. So you and I can identify with this, though, because, because there are things in our life that we're just, not, we're just not willing to do. You know, there's, just, there's certain things that we desire. You know, we have this dream. We, we want to do these things. But for whatever reason, we just can't get there. 
We can't ever become experts at it, or we can't ever become phenomenal at any one thing because we're not willing to put in the time. And how this kind of translates to us is that, um, like, New Year's resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. Only 8% of people keep their resolution throughout the entire year. 8%. 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail by the second week in February. That was last week. So 80% of you, you're done. Like, it was a great effort, but, you know, you're just going to coast through the rest of 2018 and wait till 2019 rolls around, you know. And in my intense scientific research, I have discovered the culprit for why this happens, why 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail the second week of February. It's really simple. Like, maybe this was your year to say, like, this year I'm going to finally lose that 20 pounds, all right? Like, this is my year. I'm finally going to drop some weight. I'm going to get healthy. And then the second week of February rolls around, and I walk outside of Publix, and there's a little girl wearing a green sash that says, excuse me, sir, with a little snaggle tooth. Would you like to buy some of my cookies? To which I replied, get behind me, Satan. No, I didn't really do that. I didn't really do that. I began to weep, and I just handed over my wallet and said, I just want to sow a seed of generosity into your ministry. Do-si-dos, thin mints, pile them on. Yeah, it's okay. And then I went home and ate them all while I was watching the Olympics, thinking, I could totally do that. You know, the difference between us and Olympians is that they're not at home eating Girl Scout cookies on their couch. They're putting in the time and the effort and, and the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I just totally lost it. They're putting in the energy in order to make that stuff happen in their life. And the reason that we're not like them, the reason that we don't have the life of our dreams is because we're not willing to make the changes necessary in our lifestyle to get the results that we desire. It's as simple as that. See, here's the deal. We talked about doing things that matter. Last week, we talked about dreaming wildly. This week, we're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about um, living differently. And here's the deal. If you want to do something that matters, you got to live differently. The people that chose to be, they, they said, they set out to be Olympians. They had to begin to live differently than everybody else. They had to put in the time and the effort and the energy and the practice and 10,000 hours until it became the best at what they do. You and I can't expect to do anything that matters if we're not willing to make the changes in order to see it come to fruition. And with Joseph, it was the same. Last week, we looked in Genesis 37. It introduces Joseph to us. He's this patriarch of the faith. And we find him at 17 years old. He is his father Israel's favorite son. And his father Israel has given him this coat of many colors or a coat of long sleeves. And his brothers, they hate him because of it. And then Joseph goes and makes it worse by having not one but two dreams in which his brothers are supposedly going to bow down to him. And his brothers hate him even more for it, and they can't stand him. And, and they see him coming from afar off to check on them while they're carrying over the flocks, um, their father's flocks out in the fields, and they make a plot to kill Joseph. And then one of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in this pit because somehow that's better. And then they end up selling him into slavery um, to the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites take him, and they sell him to this guy named Potiphar, and he is this Egyptian army general. Um, he's this man of power in Egypt, and so he 
goes to work at Potiphar's house, and the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. And because of that, God made him successful in everything that he does. And we pick it up in chapter 39 of Genesis, and we find out that he is there in Potiphar's house, Joseph is, and that Potiphar has seen that the Lord is with Joseph, and he's given him um, charge over the entire household. The Bible says that the only thing Potiphar worried about was the food that was going to be on his table. He didn't worry about any of his other affairs because Joseph was taking care of things and the Lord was blessing him. See, Joseph had a dream that God had given him and then Joseph began to live differently. But this is what you and I will find. Much the same way as Joseph, when you and I identify a dream that God has placed in our heart and we set out to live out that dream, something is going to happen and that is called a test. You and I are going to be tested. We are going to be tested because God wants to know that he can trust us with the promises that he's given us for our life. So he's going to have us walk through some stuff to see if our test or to see if our trust, if our faith, if our hope is really in him. And so we pick it up right here in verse six of Genesis chapter 39. And it says this, it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. You know, I've always really identified with Joseph quite a bit, come to think of it. Well-built and handsome. Verse 7, after some time, the wife of Joseph's master, this is Potiphar's wife, began to desire Joseph. And one day she said to him, have sexual relations with me. All right, so let's just stop right there, okay? We're talking about a 17, 18-year-old kid at this point, boy. All right, so those of you, you know what's going on in the mind of a 17 or 18-year-old boy at this point. And Potiphar's wife, this is a woman of, of great beauty, a woman of great power, a woman of great influence. Like she would have been like the poster child of the real housewives of Cairo, you know, back in the day. Um, and she comes to him and she's basically saying, hey, you know, what I've got, you can have, you know. And she didn't just like, she wasn't wearing like a flannel gown or anything. Like she came up to him with like apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like she was ready to go. And she's like, Joseph, you, me, you know like wanting to make this thing happen, all right? And so this is how the story plays out. In verse eight, it says, but Joseph refused and said to her, my master trusts me with everything in his house. He's put me in charge of everything he owns. There is no one in this house greater than I. He has not kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do such an evil thing? It is a sin against God. The woman talked to Joseph every day, verse 10, but he refused to have sexual relations with her or even spend time with her. One day, Joseph went into the house to do his work as usual and was the only man in the house at the time. His master's wife grabbed his coat and said to him, come and have sexual relations with me. But Joseph left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw, verse 13, that Joseph had left his coat in her hands and had run outside, she called to the servants in her house and said, Look, this Hebrew slave has, was brought here to shame us. He came in and tried to have sexual relations with me, but I screamed. My screams scared him away, and he ran away, but he left his coat with me. She kept his coat until her husband came home, and she told him the same story. She said, this Hebrew slave you brought here came in to shame me, and when he came near me, I screamed, and he ran away, but he left his coat. 
When Joseph's master heard what his wife said Joseph had done, he became very angry. So Potiphar arrested Joseph and put him into the prison where the king's prisoners were put. And Joseph stayed there in the prison. You know, it's through times of testing that you and I find that our faith begins to grow. And see, Joseph was being tested, and I'm sure that he found himself in this place. All right, so, so my brothers hated me, and I shared with them the dream that you gave me, and they hated me even more, and then they put me in a pit, and then they sold me into slavery, and I thought that that was it. I thought that my life was over. I thought that it was going to be bad, but then you've placed me, God, you've placed me in Potiphar's house, and he blessed me, and he gave me charge over his entire house, but then this woman had to come and mess things up, God, and now I'm in prison, and God, what are you doing? in my life. But Joseph realized that it was through his test, through his, his testing was producing faith in him and faith was building. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how Joseph utilized that faith to bring to fruition the dreams that God has placed in his heart. This is what I want you to know. When you guys step out to fulfill the dreams that God's placed in your heart. God is going to test you and just know that the reason that test is there is because it's going to produce faith in you. If you can hold on, if you can manage to not slide back into your old habits, to not fall back into your old way of living, but that you can continue to step out and to pursue the dream that God has given you and put your trust and your hope in him, that's gonna build up your faith and your faith is gonna rise up and it's going to cause you to be successful at the things that you set out to do because the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph and God made him successful. Because if you want to do something that matters, you got to live differently. You can't be the same old person. You can't succumb to that sin anymore. You can't just give in to the test. You've got to endure and you got to put your faith and your hope and your trust in God for him to see you through. Now, there's a parallel later on in the Old Testament. We find it in the book of Psalms, chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. It says, Happy are those, some translations say blessed, are those who don't listen to the wicked, who don't go where sinners go, who don't do what evil people do. They love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. They are strong like a tree planted by a river. The tree produces fruit in season and its leaves don't die. Everything they do will succeed. But wicked people are not like that. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So the wicked will not escape God's punishment. Sinners will not worship with God's people. This is because the Lord takes care of his people, but the wicked will be destroyed. Out of verse 1, there's three things that I feel like I need to point out. Three things that I think out of verse 1 that parallel with the life and the times and the things that Joseph is experiencing and dealing with. The first of those, it says, don't listen to the wicked. Don't listen to the wicked. In Genesis 39, verses 8 and 9, it says, But Joseph refused and said to the woman, How can I do such a thing? It is a sin against God. See, sin is birthed when first it takes over our thoughts. When we entertain it with our thoughts, there's this progression that takes place for us to fall into sin. And so first, someone comes to us or an opportunity presents itself for us to engage in sin, and we begin to think about it. 
We listen to the wicked. We give them our attention. The things that are wicked gain our attention, and we begin to let it marinate and percolate inside of our head, and then it gets our attention, and and we've turned our focus from God to sin. The second thing is, it says in in Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, don't go, not only don't listen to the wicked, but don't go where sinners go. Genesis 39 and 10, it says, the woman talked to Joseph every day, but he refused to have sexual relations with her or even spend time with her. He said, ma'am, not only am I not going to do what you're asking me to do, but I'm not even going to grant you my presence because I know that you are a wicked person. So not only are we not going to engage in this activity, but we are not even going to be in the same vicinity. I'm separating myself completely from you because it, it wasn't just enough to not listen to her. He knew he had to stay completely away. He couldn't even go where sinners go. See, not only does it start with our thinking, but then sin, it trickles down from our thinking into our behavior. It becomes something that then we begin to participate in from our thoughts to our actions. And then the third thing, not only don't listen to the wicked, not only don't go where sinners go, but Psalm 1 verse 1, don't do what evil people do. Back to Joseph in Genesis 39, verses 11 and 12. His master's wife grabbed his coat and said to him, come and have sexual relations with me. But Joseph left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. Don't listen to the wicked. Don't go where sinners go. And definitely don't do what evil people do. When sin is around, get out. Just get out away because the progression of sin, it starts in our mind, then it leads to, in in our thoughts, our thinking, then it leads to our action or our behavior, and then finally we end up belonging. We start to think about it, then we start to do it, and then all of a sudden, there we are. We're surrounded by sinners, and we're doing sin, and then now, all of a sudden, we belong to it. And Joseph knew, if I don't get out of here, man, I'm going to be lumped in. I'm going to belong. And see, there are two outcomes that Psalms chapter 1 reveals to us. The first outcome says that the happy or the blessed person, the one that devotes themselves to the word daily and nightly, the one, the one that gives themselves, surrenders themselves completely to God and what God wants for their life, that they will be like a tree planted by rivers of living water and that they will produce fruit in due season and that everything that they do will succeed. But conversely, it says the wicked are not like that. They are like the chaff that is blown away with the wind. That sinners will not worship with godly people. And that ultimately, because of their sin, they will be destroyed. You've got two outcomes, blessing and success or destruction. Which one do you want? Which one do you want for your life? Do you want blessing or success or do you want uh, destruction? If you want blessing and success, it's going to require you to live differently because you can't do something that matters unless you're willing to live differently. Here's the thing though, the enemy, he wants you to take on destruction. That's what he wants for you. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, it says, control yourselves and be careful. The devil, your enemy goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. Refuse to give in to him by standing strong in your faith. You know that your Christian family all over the world is having the same kinds of suffering. And after you suffer for a short time, 
God, who gives all grace, will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory in Christ, a glory that will continue forever. I know what some of you are thinking. All right, that's all well and good, Pastor Blake, but... But like when temptation comes my way and, and, and when, when I'm, when I'm uh, trying to get into sin or when, when sin is wanting to pull me down and everything, what, what do I do? Like what do I do in order to stay away from that stuff? Let me give you three things. Some of you have a card in your seat. On the back of this card, you, right there it says sermon notes. Maybe you want to write these down. Three things that you can do to escape temptation and to overcome sin. Three things you can do to escape temptation and to overcome sin. Number one, make truth your ally. Make truth your ally. When Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, he responded with God's word. The devil came to him in the wilderness and he tempted him the same way that you and I get tempted. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And every single time that Jesus was tempted by the devil, he responded with God's word. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has taken hold of us except that which is common to man. In other words, I'm tempted with the same thing that you're tempted with and you're tempted with the same thing that I'm tempted with and we're tempted the same way that Jesus was tempted. No temptation has taken hold of us except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. When you are tempted, you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. And God will provide a way out so that you can take a stand against it. See, the way of escape is through the truth of God's word. When temptation comes your way, when sin rears its ugly head in your life, the way of escape is through God's word. That's why it's so important for you to be reading the Bible every day, for you to be engaging in a a devotional life, spending quiet time with your heavenly father. That's why it's so important for you to be in a small group so that you can surround yourself with like-minded people that when you're tempted or when you're struggling, you can go to them and you can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And they can hold you accountable and they can remind you of God's word and what it says. And they can say, you're better than this. We got you. We got your back. Let's walk through this. We want to help you with this. Psalm 119.11 says, I've taken your word to heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. It's all about getting in the word. You're never gonna defeat temptation and sin if at first you don't make the truth of God's word your ally. Let the truth of God's word work for you. When temptation comes your way, when sin comes your way, quote God's word at it. That's gonna require you to do this. First, open God's word and get in it. If you'll get in it, it'll come out of you. But it's not going to happen unless you do that. So first, make truth your ally. The second way to escape temptation and overcome sin is to run away from sin. Run away from sin. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, But run away from the evil desires of youth. Try hard to live right and to have faith, love, and peace together with those who trust in the Lord from pure hearts. I was praying in my office this week and preparing for this message. I'm going to say, like, Lord, give me a word for these people. Give me a word for people that are stuck in sin. Give me a word to share with these people that it's going to help them. And this is the word that the Lord gave me for you. If you're stuck in sin and, and, and you're engaged in sin and you're involved in sin and everything, here is the word that the Lord gave me to share with you today. Stop! Stop it! 
That's what God has for you today. If you're engaged in sin, stop. Because Jesus Christ did not die on the cross so that you could keep living a life of sin. He died on the cross so that you could be victorious, so that you could overcome that sin. Stop playing games and get serious about your walk with Jesus. Quit messing around. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, So do you think we should continue sinning so that God will give us even more grace? No! We died to our old sinful selves. So how can we continue living in sin? That's not what this life is about. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't cover you with his blood and extend his grace to you so that you can continue to live the life that you wanted. You got to run away from sin. Run away. It will lead to destruction in your life. It will kill you. Run away. Make truth your ally. Run away from sin. Number three, run to Jesus. It's not good enough just to run away from something. You got to run to something. And Jesus is standing there with his arms open wide and he's saying, run to me. Run to me. Run to me. I got you. It's why I died on the cross so you could run to me. Stop sinning. That's not the life that I want for you. You got to live differently. If you're going to do something that matters in this world, you got to be different than other people. The church has got to start living and being different so that we can shine a light into the dark places of the world around us. We got to run to Jesus. And this is what God's word says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If if we will just run to Jesus. If you want to do something that matters, you can't keep living the way that you've been living. You got to live differently. You've got to live differently. Here's what living differently looks like. It starts with surrendering our lives to Jesus. Here's the deal. We can't expect God to bless the areas of our life that are not fully surrendered to him. We can't expect God to bless the areas of our life that aren't fully surrendered to him. On the front of this card right here, it says, live differently. We gave one of these out last week, it said dream wildly. We encourage you to write down your dreams. There's a verse from our passage today, Genesis 39 and 9. It says, how can I do such an evil thing? It is a sin against God. Some of you guys are playing with fire and it's leading to destruction. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. There's a, there's a prayer on there and this is a very private matter. I realize like we're not going to staple these up on the wall or anything. This is just for you. But I want you to take this home and then down there at the bottom, it says one area in which I need to live differently is blank. You fill in the blank. All right, we're not trying to beat you over the head. We're not slapping you with our Bible or anything like that. We wanna help you because we believe that God's got better for you, but the better that God has for you can only be received if you start to live differently. So I want you to take this and write that down. God, an area that I need to live differently is this. Maybe you're gonna write down several. Stick it on your bathroom mirror. 
Put it on the refrigerator with a magnet. Put it in your car. Stick it in your devotional book, your Bible, a place that you're going to see it. And all this week and in the coming days and weeks and months, I want you to pray this prayer and ask God to help you to live differently. Surrender your life to him, and that's when he'll show up and he'll do something awesome in your life. You know, but maybe you're here today and you would say, it's not just one thing or one area in my life that I need to surrender to Jesus. I need to surrender my whole life to him. Maybe you've never done that before. You know, maybe you've been caught up in this sin and, and, and you've, you've, you've listened to the ways of the wicked and, and you've gone to the places of the wicked and you've started to participate in the things of the wicked and you find yourself stuck, man. Here's what I got for you. There's a way out. You don't have to live that life anymore. You can stop living a life of sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And to be quite honest, surrendering your life to Jesus, if that's something that you'd like to do, it's, it's very simple. In fact, it's so simple that we, we learn about it in nursery school and in preschool. It's as simple as ABC. It's the, one of the very first things that we learn. ABC, admit that we're sinners. B, believe on Jesus. And C, choose to surrender our lives to him. If that's you today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I, I'm stuck in this way of sin. Man, there's no judgment here. We're extending the life and the grace to you that Jesus Christ offers all of us. I don't want you to leave the same way that you came in. I don't want you to continue to live that life of sin. I want you to start your journey with Jesus today. And it's as simple as that, ABC. In just a moment, we're all gonna bow our heads together and we're gonna pray this prayer. It says this, Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. It's as simple as that. So right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you in this house this morning and you'd like to receive Jesus, and once and for all, you wanna, you wanna surrender your life to him, then let's pray this together. I'll say a part of it and then you repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen, amen.